Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and this week I'm joined by Mike Livingston. Mike was with us a couple of weeks ago. Mike, thank you for being back with us once again. Glad to be here. Thanks. Today, we're looking at session 11 of our study of First and Second Thessalonians here in the spring of 2022. We're looking at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and we're focusing on the idea of recognizing and accepting God's timing. The main points of these verses are these, remembering timing, and deceiving. That first point, remembering, points to chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In these verses, Paul called on his readers to not get easily upset when people make speculative claims about the return of Jesus. We think that's new today. It was going on in the (laughs) just right (laughs) not long after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He reminded his readers that a time of apostasy and that the man of destruction must first come and falsely claim to be God. He challenged them to remember his teachings on this matter. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Apostasy and the man of lawlessness or the man of destruction, Mike. So a point for us to remember is that believers can relax knowing that God is in control. The second point is timing, which is verses 6 through 8 of chapter 2. In these verses, Paul emphasized that the man of lawlessness was being restrained until the right time comes. He assures his readers that Jesus would easily overcome the evil deceiver at his return. The last point, deceiving, looks at verses 9 through 12. In these verses, Paul explained that the lawless one would perform false signs and wonders in an effort to to deceive people who reject Jesus. Those who fail to believe in Jesus will be condemned. And there's no question about that from Paul's writing. For us, we need to understand that rejecting Jesus leads to deception and judgment. So that's a quick look at these verses, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 2, where the focus is on the return of Christ and the fear that, that they'd missed it in some, some summer fashion. Mike, let's let's go ahead and deal with the issue of apostasy and the man of lawlessness. Okay. Uh, help us get a handle on those two things here in this, these verses. Okay. Well, in this passage, chapter two, Paul is Paul's addressing some who had been deceived into believing that the day of the Lord had already happened. It already come. So Paul's telling them here that it could not have happened. The day of the Lord could not have happened yet because there are certain events, there are certain things associated with the return of Christ that had not taken place. And those those two things are this widespread apostasy, which we're gonna talk about. And the other one is the man of lawlessness would be revealed or the man of sin be revealed. So those two things hadn't happened yet, Paul says. So we know that the day of the Lord has not taken place. So look at those two things there. One is apostasy. Uh, some, some translations use the word rebellion. That's the meaning of the word. It can be the, the rebellion or the King James, the falling away. 
The CSB has the word apostasy, and it is just a transliteration of the Greek word apostasia, which from which we get the word apostasy. That's a word that could be used in, in different ways back in, you know, in the first century. It, it could mean different things. It could be used in a political context to, to talk about a political revolt or an uprising. It could be used like that. Here, of course, it has a, a spiritual, religious spiritual meaning. Uh, and it, it, here it means a deliberate turning away, a, a, a deliberate uh, turning away from the faith. Um, now, of course, that this is something that's been debated, hotly debated over the years. You know, what's it, what does this mean? Uh, what are we, how are we to understand apostasy? And there's, uh, there's all kinds of viewpoints about this. Is Paul here talking about a Christian uh, apostasy? Uh, or is he talking about a rebellion of humanity as a whole against God? That is a possibility that he's just talking about a, a widespread, you know, just the rebellion of humanity against God, not necessarily a Christian uh, apostasy. So that, and that, that is a possibility. Uh, if, it's, if, if Paul has in mind a Christian apostasy, um, then there, there are th uh, probably three ways to understand what he's saying. Uh, three different ways people have understood it. One is that true believers may stray away from him, but they never totally fall away. They, they never fall out of grace. Um, <clears throat> it's a temporary strain. Yeah, that yeah. You, you might say backsliding or something, something like that. So that, that is certainly one way that we can, you know, get a handle on this and, and talk about this or understand it. A second thing is that a second way um, to look at it is that those who fall away were never really saved. They didn't have a genuine faith to start with. So it's not a matter of being in grace and falling out of grace. It's not that, it, it, but it's a matter of never being in grace or never, you know, being gen genuinely saved. An apostate is not one who was saved and then lost salvation an apostate in this sense then is is um someone who claimed to believe, be a believer but was never genuinely genuinely saved and so i think in that's related to to the the idea um in jesus's parable of the soils you know jesus talked about those who believe uh for a while but they fall away in a time of temptation revealing that their faith wasn't a genuine faith. Their falling away reveals that their faith was not a genuine faith. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we just have to mention that there are some theologians who believe that genuine believers can repudiate, abandon their faith. I mean, that, so that's, that's another way people have looked at this, that you can be saved and then repudiate your, your salvation. Um, that's not what, it's not, certainly not what we're saying in this lesson. It's not what we believe. I'm just saying there are some who, who say that, okay? Sure. We believe that the testimony of scripture is that all true believers will persevere. All true believers do uh, endure, persevere to the end. Uh, that those who, who God has, has saved and sanctified will not fall out of grace, but they will persevere to the end. The, the adult commentary points out, points to Peter as a demonstration of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In John 6, where Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? Uh, you have the words of eternal life. That's said in the context of Jesus asking if he would desert him as others had. The main 
statement that's made then is that true believers understand that salvation comes only through Jesus and that no faith is worse than eternal lostness. And that, uh, that then feeds into their desire yeah. uh, to remain faithful. You know, G Jesus spoke of a narrow gate, not a revolving door. You know, I, it's yeah. not that, you know, you can be saved today and, and, and lost tomorrow. Um, I, don't, I don't believe the scripture, you know, supports that idea. But this is not saying here that everyone who professes to be a Christian has eternal life and will never perish. It's not saying everyone who claims to be a Christian will never perish. It's saying that true believers will persevere. Not, not, not everyone who claims to be a believer, but, but true believers do persevere to the end. The person who, who believes in Christ has passed from death to life. Uh, and that life is eternal. Jesus said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life. They'll never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. So those are, you know, those are some thoughts on this apostasy or this falling away. I know there's a whole lot more that can be said on that. But a related, you know, term or, or, or idea there is the man, this man of lawlessness or this man of sin. And who is he and how is that related? There's definitely a, some kind of relationship here between this apostasy or falling away and this individual man of lawlessness. Uh, we, we, we don't really, it's hard to know the exact temporal relationship between these two things. We assume, we can assume that this widespread apostasy is going to precede and set the stage for the appearance of this lawless, uh, lawless one. Or will, or will the apostasy be instigated by the lawless one? It's, it's kind of hard, it's hard to say, but those two events are, are closely connected. And so it may be they're just two facets of a single happening. They're going to take place simultaneously, this falling away and the appearance of the, of the lawless one. It's, hard, it's just hard to say. Not enough detail in, in, in what Paul is saying here to be dogmatic about the, the temporal relationship uh, between those two things. This is the only place in scripture, I think, that Paul where, where it's talked about, uh, the man of lawlessness is, is talked about. Um, and, and Paul, you know, gives a little description here, um, you know, says a few, few things about this person, this individual. He's someone who, who will oppose and exalt himself above. He'll oppose everything related to God. He'll exalt himself above, uh, as an object of worship, as, as a God himself. He will uh, sit in God's temple and proclaim that he is God. He'll perform all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders. Uh, so, you know, this, this individual, I mean, we should, you know, point out that this is not Satan. You know, he's not talking about Satan himself here. He clearly distinguishes this individual from Satan in verse nine, but he's, you know, we could say he's a cohort, a cohort of, of Satan. You know, he's working in concert with Satan. He's, he's the same figure as the Antichrist, where other places in scripture, you know, will mention this Antichrist figure. This is that, this is the same figure. You know, through history, there have been, there have been people, evil people who've had more than one of the characteristics of this man of sin. And so, and throughout history, we've seen how some, you know, have thought it was this person or that person. Back in Paul's, you know, day, uh, you know, they might've, some thought, you know, he was talking about one of the Roman emperors. The emperors were certainly, um, some of them were certainly opposed to, to the church and even claimed to be divine. Caligula wanted to have an image of himself set up in the temple in Jerusalem. 
but I think he died before that happened. During the Reformation, there were some <clears throat> that had the view that the man of lawlessness was the Pope, you know, but, but none, of, none of those individuals, you know, has been the, the, this, this person that Paul is talking about. This, this individual, this man of lawlessness will be someone who appears in the final days. There is, I believe, a pack item about the man of lawlessness, right? There's yeah. a pack item, pack item 14. Yeah, pack item 14 just kind of gives you a little more, a little more detail of what I'm saying here uh, in pack, pack item 14 about the man of lawlessness. It, it defines uh, that, that pack item follows this outline, if I remember right, his actions, his time, and his destiny. Right. And makes the point that Paul's purpose in dealing with these, this issue was not so much about just to satisfy people's curiosity. Instead, he was trying to warn them about being deceived and trying to encourage them to remain faithful to yeah. Christ to the end. Because these folks are facing persecution, so you can understand why they might be discouraged right. uh, during this time. Yeah, and we don't want to forget in all this, that the point that God is sovereign over all these events and all these individuals, and, and God's final victory is never in doubt here. So after describing the, the, the evil work of this man of lawlessness, Paul wrote uh, in verse 8, <clears throat> that the Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth. I love the, I love the, the image of that, just a puff of his breath, and this man of sin is gone. He's just blown away. I mean, Jesus just breathes on him and he's gone. Uh, he, he doesn't even lift a finger, you know. He just, with a, with a puff of his breath, he brings this man of lawlessness to nothing. God, God is sovereign. Paul wrote about deceiving here and about being aware of deceptions that are going to come. How do we know if that's a deceiver or not? <clears throat> you know, Satan in those... Um, who work in association with Satan or his cohorts, they have to use deception if they're to be successful. And Jesus said, Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies, John 8, 44. Um, so deception will be a tool that, that Satan use, uses and the man of lawlessness will come to deceive. Let me just point out here that um, in this passage, Paul also talks about, or earlier in the passage, he also warns that believer, he warns that believers can be deceived. If we're not careful, we can be deceived. He says in back in verse three of this chapter, second Thessalonians two, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. He warns the believers, he warns the church, don't let anyone deceive you. But um, and, and he, and in other places, Paul talked about uh, how there will be a time when believers will not endure sound doctrine. They'll turn away from the truth of the scripture, 2 Timothy 4.3. So he warns believers, don't be deceived. But the, but the deception that he's talking about here in verses 9 and 10, this deception, is a, a, a spiritual deception that's going to take place on a greater scale. And it's, it's, it's in connection with the appearing of the man of lawlessness uh, in, the, in the events surrounding, you know, the day of the Lord. So there's going to be this departure from, from, from faith, from the true faith, 
um, you know, Jude, Jude 3, Jude verse 3 talks about people departing from the faith that was once uh, for all handed down to the saints. So it'll be a departing from the faith. Uh, Jesus declared that, declared that those, uh, that there will arise false messiahs and false prophets, and, and they're going to perform signs and wonders to lead people astray, if possible, even the elect, says Jesus in Matthew 24, 24. So the warning here is don't, don't be deceived, and, and it, 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 it says that there will be a great deception in the end times in association with the re revelation of the man of sin before the day of the Lord. Now, having said all that, how do we keep ourselves from being spiritually deceived? I mean, I think that's something you know you, you can talk about here. And there's certainly some some guidelines, scriptural guidelines, and you know how how do you how do you recognize something that's counterfeit? How how do you keep from being deceived and, and falling for something that's that's deceptive and that's something that's counterfeit? You become more familiar with, with what's genuine. That's how you that's how you recognize the counterfeit. You become more familiar with the genuine. So we got to spend some time. We got to spend a lot of time in God's Word. When when Paul um, in Acts 17, when he left, after he left Thessalonica, he went to Berea. Um, you remember you remember how he, he he made a contrast between the people of Thessalonica and the people of Berea. He says in Acts 17, or it says in Acts 17:11, the people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, in Berea. Um, you know, in Thessalonica, people caused a riot when Paul, when, when Paul preached. But he says in Berea, they received the word with eagerness, and they examined the scripture daily to see if these things were so, to see if they were so. Um, so there were, there were those in Thessalonica who, um, who were not very receptive, you know, to, to the word. Um, and, and he says, don't, don't be like them, Okay. So we need, we need to, to examine the word. We need to be familiar with the word. We need to evaluate everything we read, see, and hear in light of the word, in light of scripture. There's so much in the letters from Paul to the Thessalonican church about the return of Christ. You, you get the impression that they were desperate to understand or to at least know the timetable for Jesus's return. But why do you think we want to know the exact date, time, minute of the return of Jesus. It's not just that people want to know, you know, it's, it's understandable that people want to know, but there are those people who are just obsessed with predicting when it's going to happen. And we all know, you know, we've heard, you know, through, through history, there have been those who have set dates, who've made predictions. And that's just puzzling to me, why some people think they can do more, uh, they think, they can know more than anyone else, and then they, they can do what Jesus said no one can do, that they can predict the time of his coming. It's puzzling, and, and it's puzzling that some people can take those kinds of predictions seriously. We, we see it happen. So is it just, is it a curiosity, or is it something more than just curiosity for, for many people? We, we should want to know everything the Bible says about Jesus's return. You know, it's there in the scripture for us you know, so that we can, we, can know, we can know certain things. And we should know everything the Bible says about this. But we can't know or claim to know more than the Bible says. And that's, that's where the problem arises is when people claim to know more than what the Bible says. 
Some apparently don't read the Bible well or don't know how to interpret it. Some, you know, there's some who want to think that they have some special revelation that others don't have. Uh, scholars have referred to this obsession as a form of neo-Gnosticism. You know, Gnostics claim to have some higher special knowledge that, you know, not everyone has. You know, there's, there's some special knowledge that, that known only, revealed only to a few. You know, some had some private revelation where God, God revealed some special knowledge. So it's a form, in one sense, it is a form of neo-Gnosticism. There's one source of truth, and we've got, to, we've got to affirm this, that there's one source of truth, and that's the Bible. That's Scripture. Scripture rightly divided, to use King James terminology, rightly divided, rightly dividing the word. That, that's the source of truth. So we, we want to know everything the Bible says about this, of course, but we can't know more than the Bible says. Like you mentioned earlier, God, you know, he didn't reveal these things just to satisfy our curiosity. You know, there, there was a deeper, another reason that God revealed these things. He's, want, he's wanting us to understand, but not, but still trust him at the same time. Yeah. The Bible skill for this session uh, encourages us to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5. It's it's verses 13 of chapter 4 through verses 11 of chapter 5, which we studied in sessions 6 and 8. Uh, but, but to take those and compare and contrast those with 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, what we're seeing here, and identify common themes, words, phrases, and concepts that are found in both sets of passages, both the first letter and the second letter. And then that will help us get a deeper understanding of what Paul was trying to help them understand. It would also help us understand maybe some of the false teachings that were being presented in the background, because we're going to see common themes in both of those. That's one way to conclude the Bible study time. In fact, that's the way it's suggested in the, in the leader guide and in the leader helps in the daily discipleship guide is for this Bible school activity to be used to close out the session, which then gives us a way to see a larger picture uh, of what Paul's trying to paint for the people in Thessalonica. Mike, are there any other key thoughts or ideas you would share from this passage? No, I think that's, <clears throat> that's a lot right there. <laughs> let, let me encourage our listeners out there to take a look at the blog posts that are found on the goexplorethebible.com blog. That's goexplorethebible.com forward slash blog. They're posted every Thursday. There's a new post that's added on that day. Uh, these posts will help you have a better understanding of Explore the Bible resources and the ideas and concepts behind these resources. Once again, that's goexplorethebible.com forward slash blog. Mike, thank you for being with us. We want to thank you for listening to us today, and we hope you'll encourage others, teachers to tune in next week. We'll be looking at session 12. Looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 3 5. And in those verses, we'll be looking at the way believers impact the lives of others through prayer.